0: Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Stories for the Road. This is your host, John Hagedorn. Today, chapters 25 and 26, from Mark Twain's, a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court. And now, chapter 25, a competitive examination. When the king traveled for change of air, or made a progress, or visited a distant noble whom he wished to bankrupt with the cost of his keep, part of the administration moved with him. It was a fashion of the time. The commission, charged with the examination of candidates for posts in the army, came with the king to the valley, whereas they could have transacted their business just as well at home. And although this expedition was strictly a holiday excursion for the king, he kept some of his business functions going just the same. He touched for the evil, as usual. He held court in the gate at sunrise and tried cases, for he was himself chief justice of the king's bench. He shone very well in this latter office. He was a wise and humane judge, and he clearly did his honest best and fairest, according to his lights. That is a large reservation. His lights, I mean his rearing, often colored his decisions. Whenever there was a dispute between a noble or gentleman and a person of lower degree, the king's leanings and sympathies were for the former class always, whether he suspected it or not. IT WAS IMPOSSIBLE THAT THIS SHOULD BE OTHERWISE. THE BLUNTING EFFECTS OF SLAVERY UPON THE SLAVEHOLDERS' MORAL PERCEPTIONS ARE KNOWN AND conceded, THE WORLD OVER, AND A PRIVILEGED CLASS, AN ARISTOCRACY, IS BUT A BAND OF SLAVEHOLDERS UNDER ANOTHER NAME. THIS HAS A HARSH SOUND, AND YET SHOULD NOT BE OFFENSIVE TO ANY, EVEN TO THE NOBLE HIMSELF, UNLESS THE FACT ITSELF BE AN OFFENSE, FOR THE STATEMENT SIMPLY FORMULATES A FACT. The repulsive feature of slavery is the thing, not its name. One needs but to hear an aristocrat speak of the classes that are below him, to recognize, and in but indifferently modified measure, the very air and tone of the actual slaveholder. And behind these the slaveholder's spirit, the slaveholder's blunted feeling. They are the result of the same cause in both cases, the possessor's old and inbred custom of regarding himself as a superior being. The king's judgments wrought frequent injustices, but it was merely the fault of his training, his natural and unalterable sympathies. He was as unfitted for a judgeship as would be the average mother for the position of milk distributor to starving children in famine time. Her own children would fare a shade better than the rest. One very curious case came before the king. A young girl, an orphan, who had a considerable estate, married a fine young fellow who had nothing. The girl's property was in a seigneury held by the church. The bishop of the diocese, an arrogant scion of the great nobility, claimed the girl's estate on the ground that she had married privately, and thus had cheated the church out of one of its rights as lord of the signory, the one hereto referred as le droit de seigneur. The penalty of refusal or avoidance was confiscation. The girl's defense was that the lordship of the signory was vested in the bishop, and the particular right here involved was not transferable, but must be exercised by the Lord himself, or stand vacated, and that an older law of the church itself strictly barred the bishop from exercising it. It was a very odd case, indeed. It reminded me of something I had read in my youth about the ingenious way in which the aldermen of London raised the money that built the mansion-house. A person who had not taken the sacrament, according to the Anglican rite, "'could not stand as a candidate for sheriff of London. "'Thus dissenters were ineligible. "'They could not run if asked. "'They could not serve if elected. "'The aldermen, who without any question were Yankees in disguise, "'hit upon this neat device. "'They passed a by-law imposing a fine of four hundred pounds "'upon anyone who should refuse to be a candidate for sheriff, "'and a fine of six hundred pounds upon any person who, "'after being elected sheriff, refused to serve.' Then they went to work, and elected a lot of dissenters, one after another, and kept it up till they had collected fifteen thousand pounds of fines. And there stands the stately mansion-house to this day, to keep the blushing citizen in mind of a long past and lamented day, when a band of Yankees slipped into London and played games of the sort that has given their race a unique and shady reputation among all truly good and holy peoples that be in the earth. The girl's case seemed strong to me. The bishop's case was just as strong. I did not see how the king was going to get out of this hole. But he got out. I append his decision. Truly, I find small difficulty here, the matter being even a child's affair for simpleness. And the young bride had conveyed notice, as in duty bound, to her feudal lord and proper master and protector, the bishop. She had suffered no loss. FOR THE SAID BISHOP COULD HAVE GOT A DISPENSATION MAKING HIM, FOR TEMPORARY conveniency, ELIGIBLE TO THE EXERCISE OF HIS SAID right, AND THUS WOULD SHE HAVE KEPT ALL SHE HAD. WHEREAS, FALLING IN HER FIRST DUTY, SHE HATH BY THAT FAILURE FAILED IN ALL, FOR WHOSO, CLINGING TO A ROPE, SEVERETH IT ABOVE HIS HANDS, MUST FALL, IT BEING NO DEFENSE TO CLAIM THAT THE REST OF THE ROPE IS SOUND, NEITHER ANY DELIVERANCE FROM HIS PERIL, AS HE SHALL FIND party the woman's case is rotten at the zores. It is the decree of the court that she forfeit to the said lord bishop of all her goods, even to the last farthing that she doth possess, and be thereto mulcted in the costs. Next. Here was a tragic end to a beautiful honeymoon, not yet three months old. Poor young creatures! They had lived these three months, lapped to the lips in worldly comforts. "'These clothes and trinkets they were wearing "'were as fine and dainty as the shrewdest stretch "'of the sumptuary laws allowed to people of their degree. "'And in these pretty clothes, she crying on his shoulder, "'and he trying to comfort her with hopeful words "'set to the music of despair, "'they went from the judgment seat "'out into the world homeless, breadless, Why the very beggars by the roadsides "'were not so poor as they.' "'Well, the king was out of the hall.' and on terms satisfactory to the church and the rest of the aristocracy, no doubt. Men write many fine and plausible arguments in support of monarchy, but the fact remains that where every man in a state has a vote, brutal laws are impossible. Arthur's people were, of course, poor material for a republic, because they had been debased so long by monarchy, and yet even they would have been intelligent enough to make short work of that law which the king had just been administering if it had been submitted to their full and free vote. There is a phrase which has grown so common in the world's mouth that it has come to seem to have sense and meaning. The sense and meaning implied when it is used. That is the phrase which refers to this or that or the other nation as possibly being capable of self-government. And the implied sense of it is that there has been a nation somewhere, some time or other, which wasn't capable of it wasn't as able to govern itself as some self-appointed specialists were, or would be, to govern it. The master minds of all nations, in all ages, have sprung an affluent multitude from the mass of the nation, and from the mass of the nation only, not from its privileged classes, and so, no matter what the nation's intellectual grade was, whether high or low, the bulk of its ability was in the long ranks of its nameless and its poor, AND SO IT NEVER SAW THE DAY THAT IT HAD NOT THE MATERIAL IN ABUNDANCE WHEREBY TO GOVERN ITSELF, WHICH IS TO ASSERT AN ALWAYS SELF-PROVEN FACT THAT EVEN THE BEST GOVERNED AND MOST FREE AND MOST ENLIGHTENED MONARCHY IS STILL BEHIND THE BEST CONDITION ATTAINABLE BY ITS PEOPLE, AND THAT THE SAME IS TRUE OF KINDRED GOVERNMENTS OF LOWER GRADES, ALL THE WAY DOWN TO THE LOWEST. KING ARTHUR HAD HURRIED UP THE ARMY BUSINESS ALTOGETHER BEYOND MY CALCULATIONS. I had not supposed he would move in the matter while I was away, and so I had not mapped out a scheme for determining the merits of officers. I had only remarked that it would be wise to submit every candidate to a sharp and searching examination, and privately I meant to put together a list of military qualifications that nobody could answer to but my West Pointers. That ought to have been attended to before I left, for the King was so taken with the idea of a standing army that he couldn't wait but must get about it at once, and get up as good a scheme of examination as he could invent out of his own head. I was impatient to see what this was, and to show, too, how much more admirable was the one which I should display to the examining-board. I intimated this, gently, to the king, and it fired his curiosity. When the board was assembled, I followed him in, and behind us came the candidates. One of these candidates was a bright young West Pointer of mine, and with him were a couple of my West Point professors. When I saw the board, I did not know whether to cry or to laugh. The head of it was the officer known to later centuries as Norroy King-at-Arms. The two other members were chiefs of bureaus in his department, and all three were priests, of course. All officials who had to know how to read and write were priests. My candidate was called first, out of courtesy to me, and the head of the board opened up on him with official solemnity. Name? Mal Ease. Son of? Webster. Webster, Webster. Hmm, Hm. I—my memory faileth to recall the name. Condition? Weaver. Weaver! God keep us! The king was staggered. "'from his summit to his foundations. "'One clerk fainted, and the others came near it. "'The chairman pulled himself together and said indignantly, "'It is sufficient. Get you hence.' "'But I appealed to the king. "'I begged that my candidate might be examined. "'The king was willing, but the board, "'who were all well-born folk, "'implored the king to spare them the indignity "'of examining the weaver's son. "'I knew they didn't know enough to examine him anyway,' "'so I joined my prayers to theirs, "'and the king turned the duty over to my professors. "'I had had a blackboard prepared, "'and it was put up now, "'and the circus began. "'It was beautiful to hear the lad lay out the science of war "'and wallow in details of battle and siege, "'of supply, transportation, "'mining and countermining, "'grand tactics, "'big strategy and little strategy, "'signal service, infantry, cavalry, artillery, "'and all about siege-guns, field guns, gatling guns, rifled guns, bores, musket practice, revolver practice, and not a solitary word of it could these catfish make head or tail of, you understand. And it was handsome to see him chalk off mathematical nightmares on the blackboard that would stump the angels themselves, and do it like nothing, too. All about eclipses and comets and solstices and constellations and mean time and sidereal time and dinner time and bedtime. "'and every other imaginable thing above the clouds or under them "'that you could harry or bully-rag an enemy with "'and make him wish he hadn't come. "'And when the boy made his military salute "'and stood aside at last, "'I was proud enough to hug him, "'and all those other people were so dazed "'they looked partly petrified, partly drunk, "'and wholly caught out and snowed under. "'I judged that the cake was ours, "'and by a large majority.' "'Education is a great thing. "'This was the same youth "'who had come to West Point so ignorant "'that when I asked him "'if a general officer should have a horse shot under him "'on the field of battle, "'what ought he to do?' "'Answered up naively and said, "'Get up and brush himself.' "'One of the young nobles was called up now. "'I thought I would question him a little myself. "'I said, "'Can your lordship read?' "'His face flushed indignantly, "'and he fired this at me. "'Takest me for a clerk? "'I trow I am not of blood that—' "'Just answer the question.' "'He crowded his wrath down, "'and made out to answer, "'No.' "'Can you write?' "'He wanted to resent this, too. "'But I said, "'You will confine yourself to the questions, "'and make no comments. "'You are not here to air your blood or your graces, "'and nothing of the sort will be permitted. "'Can you write?' "'No.' Do you know the multiplication table? I know not what you refer to. How much is nine times six? It is a mystery that is hidden from me by reason that the emergency requiring the fathoming of it hath not in my life days occurred, and so, not having no need to know this thing, I abide barren of the knowledge. If A. trade a barrel of onions to B, worth two pence the bushel, in exchange for a sheep worth fourpence and a dog worth a penny, and C killed the dog before delivery, because bitten by the same, who mistook him for D, what sum is still due to A from B, and which party pays for the dog, C or D, and who gets the money? If A is the penny sufficient, or may he claim consequential damages in the form of additional money to represent the possible profit which might have inured from the dog? And classifiable as earned increment, that is to say, usufruct. And he answered, Verily, in the all-wise and unknowable providence of God, who moveth in mysterious ways his wonders to perform, have I never heard the fellow to this question for confusion of the mind and congestion of the ducts of thought. Wherefore I beseech you, let the dog and onions and these people of the strange and godless names work out their several salvations from their piteous and wonderful difficulties without help of mine." For indeed their trouble is sufficient as it is. Whereas, an I tried to help, I should but damage their cause the more, and yet mayhap not live myself to see the desolation wrought. What do you know of the laws of attraction and gravitation? If there be such, mayhap His Grace the King did promulgate them whilst that I lay sick about the beginning of the year, and thereby failed to hear His proclamation. All right. What do you know of the science of optics? I know of governors of places, and seneschals of castles, and sheriffs of counties, and many like small offices and titles of honor, but him you call the science of optics I've not heard of before. Peradventure, it is a new dignity. Yes, in this country. Try to conceive of this mollusk gravely applying for an official position, of any kind under the sun. Why, he had all the earmarks of a typewriter copyist, "'if you leave out the disposition to contribute "'uninvited emendations of your grammar and punctuation. "'It was unaccountable that he didn't attempt "'a little help of that sort "'out of his majestic supply of incapacity for the job, "'but that didn't prove that he hadn't material in him "'for the disposition. "'It only proved that he wasn't a typewriter copyist yet. "'After nagging him a little more, "'I let the professors loose on him, "'and they turned him inside out, "'on the line of scientific war, "'and found him empty, of course.' He knew somewhat about the warfare of the time, bushwhacking around for ogres, and bullfights in the tournament ring, and such things. But otherwise he was empty and useless. Then we took the other young noble in hand, and he was the first one's twin, for ignorance and incapacity. I delivered them into the hands of the chairman of the board, with the comfortable consciousness that their cake was dough. They were examined in the previous order of precedence. Name, so please you. Pertipole. Son of Sir Pertipole, Baron of Barley Mash. Grandfather. Also Sir Pertipole, Baron of Barley Mash. Great-grandfather. The same name and title. Great-great-grandfather. We had none, worshipful sir, the line failing before it had reached so far back. It mattereth not. It is a good four generations, and fulfilleth the requirements of the rule. Wait, wait, wait. Fulfills what rule?' I asked. "'The rule requiring four generations of nobility, "'or else the candidate is not eligible. "'You mean a man is not eligible for a lieutenancy in the army "'unless he can prove four generations of noble descent?' "'Even so, neither lieutenant nor any other officer "'may be commissioned without that qualification.' "'Oh, come, this is an astonishing thing. "'What good is such a qualification as that?' "'What good?' It is a hardy question, fair sir and boss, since it doth go far to impugn the wisdom of even our holy mother church herself. How? For that she hath established the self same rule regarding saints. By her law, none may be canonized until he hath lain dead four generations. I see. It's the same thing. It is wonderful. In the one case, a man lies dead alive four generations, mummified in ignorance and sloth, AND THAT QUALIFIES HIM TO COMMAND LIVE PEOPLE, AND TAKE THEIR WEAL AND WOE INTO HIS IMPOTENT HANDS. AND IN THE OTHER CASE, A MAN LIES BEDDED WITH DEATH AND WORMS FOR GENERATIONS, AND THAT QUALIFIES HIM FOR OFFICE IN THE CELESTIAL CAMP. DOES THE KING'S GRACE APPROVE OF THIS STRANGE LAW? THE KING SAID, WHY, TRULY, I SEE naught ABOUT IT THAT IS STRANGE. ALL PLACES OF HONOR AND OF PROFIT DO BELONG, BY NATURAL RIGHT, TO THEM THAT BE OF NOBLE BLOOD and so these dignities in the army are their property, and would be so without this or any rule. The rule is but to mark a limit. Its purpose is to keep out too recent blood, which would bring into contempt these offices, and men of lofty lineage would turn their backs and scorn to take them. I would be to blame if I permitted this calamity. You can permit it, and you are minded so to do, for you have the delegated authority, but that the king should do it were a most strange madness "'and not comprehensible to any.' (sighs) "'I yield. "'Proceed, Sir Chief of the Herald's College.' "'The chairman resumed as follows. "'By what illustrious achievement "'for the honour of the throne and state "'did the founder of your great line "'lift himself to the sacred dignity "'of the British nobility?' "'He built a brewery, sir.' "'Sire, the board finds this candidate perfect "'in all the requirements and qualifications "'for military command.' "'and doth hold his case open for decision "'after due examination of his competitor. "'The competitor came forward "'and proved exactly four generations of nobility himself. "'So there was a tie in military qualifications that far. "'He stood aside a moment, "'and Sir Pertipol was questioned further. "'Of what condition was the wife of the founder of your line?' "'She came of the highest landed gentry, sir, "'yet she was not noble.' "'She was gracious and pure and charitable, "'of a blameless life and character, "'insomuch that in these regards "'was she peer of the best lady in the land. "'That will do. Stand down.' "'He called up the competing lording again, "'and asked, "'What was the rank and condition of the great-grandmother "'who conferred British nobility upon your great house?' "'She was a king's layman, "'and did climb to that splendid eminence "'by her own unhopened merit,' "'from the sewer where she was born. "'Ah, this indeed is true nobility. "'This is the right and perfect intermixture. "'The lieutenancy is yours, fair lord. "'Hold it not in contempt. "'It is the humble step which will lead to grandeurs "'more worthy of the splendor of an origin like to thine.' "'I was down in the bottomless pit of humiliation. "'I had promised myself an easy and zenith-scouring triumph. "'And this was the outcome.' "'I was almost ashamed to look my poor disappointed cadet in the face. "'I told him to go home and be patient, that this wasn't the end. "'I had a private audience with the king, and made a proposition. "'I said it was quite right to officer that regiment with nobilities, "'and he couldn't have done a wiser thing. "'It would also be a good idea to add five hundred officers to it, "'in fact, add as many officers as there were nobles "'and relatives of nobles in the country.' "'even if there should finally be five times as many officers as privates in it, "'and thus make it the crack regiment, the envied regiment, the king's own regiment, "'and entitled to fight on its own hook and in its own way, "'and go whither it would, and come when it pleased, in time of war, "'and be utterly swell and independent. "'This would make that regiment the heart's desire of all the nobility, "'and they would all be satisfied and happy. "'Then we would make up the rest of the standing army,' Out of commonplace materials, and officer it with nobodies, as was proper, nobodies selected on the basis of mere efficiency, and we would make this regiment tow the line, allow it no aristocratic freedom from restraint, and force it to do all the work and persistent hammering, to the end that whenever the king's own was tired and wanted to go off for a change and rummage around amongst ogres and have a good time, it could go without uneasiness, knowing that matters were in safe hands behind it. "'and business going to be continued at the old stand, same as usual. "'And the king was charmed with the idea. "'When I noticed that, it gave me a valuable notion. "'I thought I saw my way out of an old and stubborn difficulty at last. "'You see, the royalties of the Pendragon stock were a long-lived race and very fruitful. "'Whenever a child was born to any of these, and it was pretty often, "'there was wild joy in the nation's mouth and piteous sorrow in the nation's heart.' the joy was questionable, but the grief was honest, because the event meant another call for a royal grant. Long was the list of these royalties, and they were a heavy and steadily increasing burden upon the treasury, and a menace to the crown. Yet Arthur could not believe this latter fact, and he would not listen to any of my various projects for substituting something in the place of the royal grants." If I could have persuaded him to now and then provide a support for one of these outlined scions from his own pocket, I could have made a grand to-do over it. And it would have had a good effect with the nation. But no, he wouldn't hear of such a thing. He had something like a religious passion for Royal Grant. He seemed to look upon it as a sort of sacred swag, and one could not irritate him in any way so quickly and so surely as by an attack upon that venerable institution.' "'if I ventured to cautiously hint "'that there was not another respectable family in England "'that would humble itself to hold out the hat. "'However, that is as far as I ever got. "'He always cut me short there, and peremptorily, too. "'But I believed I saw my chance at last. "'I would form this crack regiment out of officers alone, "'not a single private. "'Half of it should consist of nobles, "'who should fill all the places up to Major General, "'and serve gratis, and pay their own expenses, and they would be glad to do this when they should learn that the rest of the regiment would consist exclusively of princes of the blood. These princes of the blood should range in rank from lieutenant-general up to field-marshal, and be gorgeously salaried and equipped and fed by the state. Moreover, and this was the master-stroke, it should be decreed that these princely grandees should always be addressed by stunningly gaudy and awe-compelling titles, which I would presently invent." And they, and they alone in all England, should be so addressed. Finally, all princes of the blood should have free choice. Join that regiment, get that great title, and renounce the royal grant, or stay out and receive a grant. Neatest touch of all, unborn but imminent princes of the blood could be born into the regiment, and start fair, with good wages and a permanent situation, upon due notice from the parents all the boys would join, I was sure of that. So, all existing grants would be relinquished, that the newly born would always join was equally certain. Within sixty days that quaint and bizarre anomaly, the royal grant, would cease to be a living fact, and take its place among the curiosities of the past. We'll return with chapter 26, right after these sponsor messages. AND NOW CHAPTER 26 THE FIRST NEWSPAPER When I told the king I was going out disguised as a petty freeman to scour the country and familiarize myself with the humbler life of the people, he was all afire with the novelty of the thing in a minute, and was bound to take a chance in the adventure himself. Nothing should stop him. He would drop everything and go along. It was the prettiest idea he had run across for many a day. He wanted to glide out the back way and start at once. But I showed him that that wouldn't answer. You see, he was billed for the king's evil. To touch for it, I mean. And it wouldn't be right to disappoint the house, and it wouldn't make a delay worth considering. Anyway, it was only a one-night stand. And I thought he ought to tell the queen he was going away. He clouded up at that end and looked sad. I was sorry I had spoken, especially when he said mournfully— "'Thou forgettest that Lancelot is here, "'and where Lancelot is, "'she knoweth not the going forth of the king, "'nor what day he returneth.' "'Of course, I changed the subject. "'Yes, Guinevere was beautiful, it is true, "'but take her all around, "'she was pretty slack. "'I never meddled in these matters, "'they weren't my affair, "'but I did hate to see the way things were going on, "'and I don't mind saying that much. "'Many's the time she had asked me, "'Sir Boss,' Hast thou seen Sir Lancelot about? But if ever she went fretting around for the king, I didn't happen to be around at the time. I was sitting by an open window not far from the canopy of state, when outside there rang clear as a clarion a note that enchanted my soul and tumbled thirteen worthless centuries about my ears. Camelot, weekly hosanna and literary volcano! Camelot, weekly hosanna and literary volcano! Latest interruption only two cents, all about the big miracle in the Valley of Holiness. Now one greater than kings had arrived, the newsboy. But I was the only person in all that throng who knew the meaning of this mighty birth, and what this imperial magician was come into the world to do. I dropped a nickel out of the window and got my paper. The Adam newsboy of the world went around the corner to get my change. Is around the corner yet. It was delicious to see a newspaper again. "'yet I was conscious of a secret shock "'when my eye fell upon the first batch of display headlines. "'I had lived in a clammy atmosphere of reverence, "'respect, deference, "'so long that they sent a quivery little cold wave through me. "'High times in the Valley of Holiness. "'The waterworks corked. Brer Merlin works his arts, but gets left. "'But the boss scores on his first innings. "'The miraculous well uncorked "'amid awful outbursts of infernal fire and smoke of thunder.' the buzzard roost astonished, unparalleled rejoicings, and so on, and so on. Yes, it was too loud. Once I could have enjoyed it and seen nothing out of the way about it, but now its note was discordant. It was good Arkansas journalism, but this was not Arkansas. Moreover, the next to the last line was calculated to give offense to the hermits. Moreover, the next to the last line, the buzzard roost astonished, "'was calculated to give offence to the hermits, "'and perhaps lose us their advertising. "'Indeed, there was too lightsome a tone of flippancy "'all through the paper. "'It was plain I had undergone a considerable change "'without noticing it. "'I found myself unpleasantly affected "'by pert little irreverencies "'which would have seemed but proper and airy graces of speech "'at an earlier period of my life. "'There was an abundance, too, of the following breed of items, "'and they discomforted me. "'Local smoke and cinders.' Sir Lancelot met up with old King Agrivance of Ireland unexpectedly last week over on the moor south of Sir Balmeral the Marvelous's hog pasture. The widow has been notified. Expedition number three will start about the first of next month on a search for Sir Sagamore the It is in corn and of the renowned Knight of the Red Lawns, assisted by Sir Person of Indy, who is competent, intelligent, courteous, and in every way a brick and further assisted by Sir Palamedes, the Saracen, who is no Huckleberry himself. This is no picnic. These boys mean business. The readers of the Hosanna will regret to learn that the handsome and popular Sir Charley of Gaul, who, during his 4 weeks stay at the Bull and Halibut, this city, has won every heart by his polished manners and elegant conversation, will pull out today for home. Give us another call, Charley. "'The business ended the funeral of the late Sir Dalliance, "'the Duke's son of Cornwall, "'killed in an encounter with the giant of the knotted bludgeon "'last Tuesday on the borders of the Plain of Enchantment, "'was in the hands of the ever-affable and efficient Mumble, "'Prince of Undertakers. than whom there exists none by whom it were a more satisfying pleasure "'to have the last sad officers performed. "'Give him a trial.' "'The cordial thanks of the Hosanna Officer Due, "'from editor down to devil,' to the ever-courteous and thoughtful Lord High Stew of the Palace's third assistant, for several saucets of ice cream, a quality calculated to make the eye of the recipients humid with gratitude. And had done it. When this administration wants to chalk up a desirable name for early promotion, the Hosanna would like a chance to suggest the Demoiselle Irene Dulap of South Astolat is visiting her uncle, the popular host of the Cattleman's Boarding House, Liver Lane, this city. Young Barker, the mellows-bender, is home again. "'and looks much improved by his vacation round-up "'among the outline Smithies. "'See his ad. "'Of course it was good enough journalism for a beginning. "'I knew that quite well, "'and yet it was somehow disappointing. "'The court circular pleased me better. "'Indeed, its simple and dignified respectfulness "'was a distinct refreshment to me "'after all those disgraceful familiarities. "'But even it could have been improved. "'Do what one may,' There is no getting an air of variety into a court circular. I acknowledge that. There is a profound monotonousness about its facts that baffles and defeats one's sincerest efforts to make them sparkle and enthuse. The best way to manage, in fact, the only sensible way, is to disguise repetitiousness of fact under variety of form. Skin your fact each time and lay on a new cuticle of words. It deceives the eye. You think it's a new fact, It gives you the idea that the court is carrying on like everything. This excites you, and you drain the whole column with a good appetite, and perhaps never notice that it's a barrel of soup made out of a single bean. Clarence's way was good. It was simple. It was dignified. It was direct and businesslike. All I say is, it was not the best way. Court Circular. On Monday, the King rode in the park. Tuesday, ditto. Ditto. Wednesday, ditto. Thursday, ditto. Friday, ditto. Saturday, ditto. Sunday, ditto. However, take the paper by and large. I was vastly pleased with it. Little crudities of a mechanical sort were observable here and there, but there were not enough of them to amount to anything, and it was good enough Arkansas proofreading, anyhow, and better than was needed in Arthur's day in realm. As a rule, the grammar was leaky, and the construction more or less lame, "'but I did not much mind these things. "'They are common defects of my own, "'and one mustn't criticize other people "'on grounds where he can't stand perpendicular himself. "'I was hungry enough for literature "'to want to take down the whole paper at this one meal, "'but I only got a few bites, "'and then had to postpone, "'because the monks around me besieged me so "'with eager questions. "'What is this curious thing? "'What is it for? "'Is it a handkerchief? "'A saddle-blanket? "'Part of a shirt?' "'What's it made of? "'How thin it is! "'How dainty and frail! "'And how it rattles! "'Will it wear, do you think? "'And won't the rain injure it? Is it writing that appears on it, "'or is it only ornamentation?' "'They suspected it was writing, "'because those among them "'who knew how to read Latin "'and had a smattering of Greek "'recognized some of the letters. "'But they could make nothing "'out of the result as a whole. "'I put my information "'in the simplest form I could. "'It is a public journal,' "'I will explain what that is another time. "'It is not a cloth. "'It is made of paper. "'Sometime I will explain what paper is. "'The lines on it are reading matter, "'and not written by hand, but printed. "'By and by I will explain what printing is. "'A thousand of these sheets have been made, "'all exactly like this, in every minute detail. "'They can't be told apart. "'Then they all broke out with exclamations "'of surprise and admiration.' A thousand? Barely a mighty work, a year's work for many men. No, merely a day's work for a man and a boy. They crossed themselves, and whiffed out a protective prayer or two. Ah, a miracle, a wonder, dark work of enchantment. I let it go at that. Then I read in a low voice, to as many as could crowd their shaven heads within hearing distance. PART OF THE ACCOUNT OF THE MIRACLE OF THE RESTORATION OF THE WELL. I READ PART OF THE ACCOUNT OF THE MIRACLE OF THE RESTORATION OF THE WELL, AND WAS ACCOMPANIED BY ASTONISHED AND REVERENT EJACULATIONS ALL THROUGH. AH! HOW TRUE! AMAZING! THESE BE THE VERY HAPS AS THEY HAPPENED, IN MARVELOUS EXACTNESS. AND THEN THEY ASKED, MIGHT THEY TAKE THIS STRANGE THING IN THEIR HANDS, AND FEEL OF IT, AND EXAMINE IT? THEY WOULD BE VERY CAREFUL yes. So they took it, handling it as cautiously and devoutly as if it had been some holy thing come from some supernatural region, and gently felt of its texture, caressed its pleasant smooth surface with lingering touch, and scanned the mysterious characters with fascinated eyes. These grouped bent heads, these charmed faces, these speaking eyes, how beautiful to me! For was not this, my darling— and was not all this mute wonder and interest and homage a most eloquent tribute and unforced compliment to it? I knew then how a mother feels when women, whether strangers or friends, take her new baby, and close themselves about it with one eager impulse, and bend their heads over it in a tranced adoration that makes all the rest of the universe vanish out of their consciousness, and be as if it were not, for that time. I knew how she feels, "'and that there is no other satisfied ambition, "'whether of a king, conqueror, or poet, "'that ever reaches halfway to that serene far summit "'and yields half so divine a contentment. "'During all the rest of the séance "'my paper traveled from group to group, "'all up and down about that huge hall, "'and my happy eye was upon it always, "'and I sat motionless, steeped in satisfaction, "'drunk with enjoyment. "'Yes, this was heaven.' I was tasting it once, if I might never taste it more. Thanks for joining us for chapters 25 and 26 of A Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court by Mark Twain. We always appreciate reviews, and we have a few recent ones for you. The first one, five stars. Thank you. Simple, wonderful, entertaining, great narration, interesting stories. This is one of my favorite podcasts, no lie. So thank you for being awesome. Down from Kiko D, Apple Podcast, US. And this one, wonderful, five stars. The entire 1001 network is wonderful to listen to. Down from NS Thomp, Apple Podcast, US. And this one, I haven't even listened yet, five stars. It is so good, even though I've never listened, but I trust these reviews. I am also currently fighting a dragon with a dog toy while learning to speak four languages and playing speed chess. The ads at the start are really getting me tough middle school depression. Down from Frogmaster, Apple Podcast, US. And this one, Fabulous Podcast, five stars. I listen to many hours of podcasts every week while driving long distances or working. I've only just discovered 1001 Stories for the Road and wish I'd found it many years ago. Truly excellent reading and fabulous content. Down from Aussie Johnny, Apple Podcast, Australia. Thank you all so very, very much for taking the time to leave these reviews. They are greatly appreciated. This is your host, John Hagedorn, and this is 1001 Stories for the Road, where we're currently doing a Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's Court. We'll return next Sunday night at 5 p.m. Eastern Time with chapters 27 and 28. Until then, everyone, stay safe, and we'll be back soon.